0: All right, well good morning once again. Hey, if you didn't get a chance, we're just going to put this QR code up for a moment. It'll get you access to our message notes, or you can fill out an information card, all that good stuff. So we'll leave that up while I give you a quick update. Um, Most of you know that we are actually searching for a student minister, and wanted to give you a little update on that search so far. Our student minister, Brian Dillon, has taken a position here at Gateway, a newly created position as executive minister. And so he started on January 1st with that and is kind of transitioning and still overseeing some of our student ministry, but really working with our volunteers. And so we uh, have a couple of uh, video interviews this week with that. And then from there, we are hoping to narrow it down to one or two that we want to bring in for a formalized interview. So please be praying for us in this process. You know, we are not looking for someone who will babysit our kids. We are, we are looking for a leader of our student ministry who will lead our students and lead our volunteers. So we ask for your prayers in that, and we'll continue to update you with that process. <clears throat> well, I saw this uh, this picture the other day, someone had posted it, I thought it was funny. It said, if the Big Dipper still hasn't fallen apart, you can hold it together one more day, right? How many of you guys have ever been on the Big Dipper at Camden Park? Wow, and you survived, right? <laughs> How many of you are not here today because you died on the Big Dipper? Right, yeah, that's a, that's a scary, scary ride. Right? Uh, if that thing, though, hasn't fallen apart, right, you can hold it together. Well, that's, that's sort of the theme of this series that we're in. We're in the fourth week of a series called Don't Give Up. And it just feels like a very timely message with what's been going on in the world, doesn't it? There's been so much going on, and there's so much wickedness and evil and suffering. And when we look at this world, and sometimes when we look at our lives, and we see that there's bad stuff going on, it can be discouraging. In those times, maybe we even begin to question God, or at least question his goodness And some of us, we've gotten to the point where maybe we feel like we're ready to give up. So in this series, we've been looking at a chapter in the Bible, Psalm 73. If you have a Bible or a Bible app, go ahead and open up to Psalm 73. As we've said, this psalm, it was written by a man named Asaph. Asaph was a mature believer in God. Uh, He was a very godly man. Yet, in this psalm, he is recalling a time where he became so frustrated so so discouraged, so confused as he saw the wicked who were prospering and the righteous who were suffering, including himself. And, and, and when he saw this, it, it got him to the point where he was almost ready to give up. He was almost ready to throw in the, the towel on his faith. So let me read to you Psalm 73 once again, this whole chapter, and, and let's listen to this journey that Asaph takes us on. A Psalm of Asaph. It says, Surely God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost slipped. I had nearly lost my foothold, for I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. They have no struggles. Their bodies are healthy and strong. They're free from common human burdens. They're not plagued by human ills. Therefore, pride is their necklace. They clothe themselves with violence. From their callous hearts comes iniquity. Their evil imaginations have no limits. They scoff and speak with malice. With arrogance, they threaten oppression. Their mouths lay claim to heaven, and their tongues take possession of the earth. Therefore, their people turn to them and drink up waters in abundance. They say, how would God know? Does the Most High know anything? This is what the wicked are like. Always free of care, they go on amassing wealth. Surely in vain, I have kept my heart pure and have washed my hands in innocence. All day long, I have been afflicted and every morning brings new punishments. If I'd spoken out like that, I would have betrayed your children. When I tried to understand all this, it troubled me deeply till I entered the sanctuary of God. Then I understood their final destiny. Surely you place them on slippery ground. You cast them down to ruin. How suddenly are they destroyed, completely swept away by terrors. They're like a dream when one awakes. When you arise, Lord, you will despise them as fantasies. When my heart was grieved and my spirit embittered, I was senseless and ignorant. I was a brute beast before you. Yet I am always with you. You hold me by your right, my right hand. You guide me with your counsel and afterward you will take me into glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire beside you. My flesh and my heart may fail. But God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Those who are far from you will perish. You will destroy all who are unfaithful to you. But as for me, it is good to be near God. I have made the sovereign Lord my refuge. I will tell of all your deeds. Again, what an amazing chapter. We're in the fourth week of this and read through it each time. And as you read this, you you can see this conflict. You can hear this conflict as Asaph tries to figure out this tension between the truth he knows about God. He knows in his head that God is good. But then he's got this tension in what he's experiencing, and there's a lot of not good in this world. How does that reconcile? And so in these 28 verses, we see this man who is looking back at this experience, and he's saying, Look, I know that God is good, but there was this season where I just wasn't seeing it clearly. My experience was telling me something other than what I, the truth that I knew about God. And so you can hear in this psalm that there was this time where Asaph couldn't make sense of what was going on in the world. He couldn't make sense of what was going on in his own life. And he really couldn't even make sense or see the point in pursuing a godly life. If the righteous are just going to suffer and the wicked are going to prosper, then what's the point? And so I think that there are a lot of godly, faithful people today who are struggling with this as well. Some of you might be pointing your finger at yourself. I love God, but I just can't understand sometimes what is going on. And it's not always easy. And, and sometimes it's impossible for us to see or to know what God is doing in this world or even what he's doing in our lives. And, and oftentimes it seems like evil is winning. Good seems to be losing. And we get discouraged. We feel defeated. And some of us, we feel like giving up. But... The good news about this psalm is that Asaph didn't give up. He made it through this experience. He made it through this season of his life. And by God's grace and power, we can also make it through these times in our lives. So in this series, we've been talking about how Asaph made this five-point turn. Someone asked me earlier, they said, I was always taught that it was a three-point turn when you're driving. Is it a five-point turn because you're an Ohio driver? And... um, (laughs) After I punched him in the face, um, I'm kidding, kids, I did not punch him in the face. <laughs> uh, I told him it was actually Dave Stauffer who came up with this five-point turn analogy. And if you've ever driven with Dave, you would understand why it's a five-point turn. So anyway, so this five-point turn that ASAF made really is a great pattern for how we can also make a turnaround. And so Asaph first had to, we said, stop. You had to stop. Asaph made the decision to stop. If you are heading in the wrong direction, that is always the first step involved in turning around. I can't believe this, but my oldest daughter is going to be getting her taking her driver's test soon. Crazy. If you go in the wrong direction, honey, <laughs> the first step is always to stop. All right? And secondly, just don't drive with any boys. Actually, that's the first, first rule. Don't drive with boys. Anyway, stop. (laughs) Asaph had to stop. Verse 15, he said this. He said, if I had spoken out like that, I would have betrayed your children. So Asaph couldn't make sense of things. He was confused. He was discouraged. And without proper perspective, he could have hurt a lot of other people if he had gone down this road, if he had kind of pursued these negative thoughts that he was having and taken this dark path. So he stopped. And we have to decide to stop if we're going to make a turnaround as well. Stop letting all of the negativity of the world get into our heads. Stop this downward slide into the pit of discouragement. Stop focusing only on ourselves. Because if we don't, we aren't going to make it. Secondly, Asaph had to think. For Asaph, he went into the sanctuary. And there in the presence of God, his mind began to clear The light kind of came on and he began to have some perspective. He said in verses 16 and 17 that when I tried to understand all of this, it troubled me deeply till till I entered the sanctuary of God and then I understood their final destiny. Then I started to see what was really happening. Then I started to have an eternal perspective on things. There at that place of worship, he understood more of who God is and all that he has done. And in that place, he understood the true destiny of the wicked. That they, were, they may be prospering in this world, but their destiny does not look good. And he understood the future of the righteous. Thirdly, we said that Asaph then, last week we talked about this, had to confess confessed. So once Asaph got this refresher course on the goodness of God, his power and his purity, Asaph began to to see himself next to this holy, perfect God. And it revealed some stuff in himself. It It was like holding up a mirror. And so coming into the presence of God revealed the sin in Asaph's life and he began to confess. He said in verses 21 and 22 that when my heart was grieved, and we'll stop real quick there, Many of us, we have hearts that are grieving, right? There's so much going on, again, in our lives, in our world, and we have hearts that are grieving. There's nothing wrong with that unless we allow it to, to become sinful. And this is what happened to him. He said, when my heart was grieved and my spirit embittered, I was senseless and ignorant. I was a brute beast before you. And so Asaph was confessing some of the same sins that you and I are susceptible to when, when the cares of this world weigh down our hearts. When we, we start to have a grieving heart, we can fall victim to these as well. If we aren't careful, we can grow a bitter spirit. Our hearts will overrule our heads and we become we, we start to act impulsively like a brute beast and God sees it all. Well, today we're coming to this fourth element in our five-point turn and hopefully you're kind of seeing this natural progression in our turnaround. Our, our, you know, it starts with our hearts that are crushed over the, the seemingly unfair conditions of the world and then we come into the presence of God to have our heads cleared and once our heads are cleared, we, we confess our sins to have our hearts cleansed And then once our heart is cleansed, our faith can be restored and we believe again. And that's really the fourth point in this turn is to believe, to believe. It's about having your your faith restored as you allow God to turn your life away from the pit of discouragement and despair. Now, before we get into Asaph's statement of belief, he's going to proclaim some things that he believes here, his statement of faith. I want to make sure that we're getting the big picture here. In the first 14 verses of this psalm, Asaph has been completely self-absorbed. He's asking, why aren't things going the way that I want them to? Why are things so crazy and wicked in the world? Why are bad things then happening in my life? Why is God blessing other people more than he's blessing me? What's the point in me pursuing a godly life? You see, the first half of this psalm is Asaph. Kind of complaining about this thing, and Asaph thinks that the problem is with God, and he is convinced that the difficulties he's facing are the root of his unhappiness. But when he comes into the sanctuary and into the presence of God, he finally gets it. He starts to understand that the 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 real problem in his life, and it's not God, it's himself. He is the one with a grieving heart. He is the one that has allowed that to become a bitter spirit. He's the one who's been senseless and ignorant. He's he's not thinking about how God is still in control. He's the one who's acting out impulsively. And it's almost as if he's saying, after all of this wrestling with God and contemplating these big issues of life and what's going on in the world and what's going on around me, I finally realized after I came into the presence of God that I am the problem. I am my own worst enemy. British theologian Martin Martin Lloyd Jones once said that self is our most constant enemy. It is the most prolific cause of all our unhappiness. And I think if we're totally honest with ourselves and we we dig to the core problems of our unhappiness in life, we'll, we'll discover that Jones is right that we are our biggest problem. Jones then went on to say that ever since the fall of man in the Garden of Eden, we have become self-absorbed, self-consumed, and always ready to promote and defend ourselves above all else in life. We're definitely guilty, aren't we? Again, we really can be our own worst enemy. So if self is the problem, then what's the solution? Well, we, we know, right? Right? The solution is God. Instead of a self-centered mindset, we need a God-centered one. So listen to the progression in Asaph's thinking as he moved from the misery of a self-centered life to the joy of a God-centered life. He would say in verse 3, For I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Verse 14, All day long I have been afflicted. Verse 22, I was senseless." And ignorant. I was a brute beast before you, and then watch his turn. Verse 23 Yet I'm always with you. You hold me by my right hand. You guide me with your counsel, and afterward you will take me into your glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart, they may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. You see what happened? Asaph is expressing how he discovered the joy of fr- and, and freedom of turning from a self-centered life and a self-centered worldview to a God-centered life and worldview. And this is what real faith is all about. It is a shift in focus and in worldview. And it happens when we move ourselves out of the position that, that, that God is supposed to be in and allow him to have his rightful place. And let me remind you that, that belief, you know, faith, trust... This is not our own ability to believe or trust. It is about the trustworthiness of God. This, this means that you can't do it on your own. You can't. You cannot turn your life around on your own. You can't even believe on your own. Did you know that? Romans ten seventeen says, Consequently, faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word about Christ. So we thank God for his grace in giving us the gospel to hear and for his spirit to help us to respond the whole point of our faith is that once we hear the gospel, once we hear the truth of the gospel, and we say yes to God, then we are delivered from ourselves, and we find refuge in him, the one who has all of the answers, the one who is altogether trustworthy. So listen again to this great expression of faith that Asaph makes. And what I want to do is I want to kind of break it down for you to show you what it is that Asaph believed and what it is that we believe that will help us to make this turn from discouragement and despair Despair to full faith. So Asaph writes in verse 25. He starts off saying, "Whom have I in heaven but you?" And so we believe in a God in heaven who is for us. We believe in a God in heaven for us. You know that heaven is a God-centered place. In the book of Revelation, the Apostle John is able to get this this peek into the into heaven. And in Revelation chapter four, John looks and he's able to to see the center of heaven. And in the center of heaven was a throne. And surrounding that, or, and seated at that throne, was God. And, and then surrounding that throne, there were 24 other thrones with 24 elders and these four living creatures. And it says in Revelation 4 The day and night they never stopped saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was. And is, and is to come. And then down in verse eleven they're continuing with their praise to God, saying, You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. Then in John chapter or Revelation chapter five, John gets another vision. And this time we read in verse six, he says, Then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain, standing at the center of the throne, encircled by the four living creatures and the elders. And this lamb is none other than Jesus. He is the center of worship and adoration by all. Don't miss this. Jesus, who who is God, is at the center of heaven. It is all about Jesus. And so Asaph asks, whom have I in heaven but you? Let me ask you, Who do you have in heaven? Many many of you know without a shadow of a doubt some relatives or friends who who are already in heaven. They're there already. And, And one day for the people of God, there is going to be this just glorious reunion with loved ones in heaven. And it is something to look forward to. So there are people we will know in heaven. Scripture also talks about how there are rewards and possessions in heaven awaiting us. But to be honest... The Bible doesn't spend a whole lot of time talking about things and people in heaven. What the Bible does talk about is the main who in heaven. And Asaph understood this. And we need to understand this as well. Heaven isn't heaven without Jesus. It's not. So imagine for a moment there's this engaged couple, Tom and Sally, we'll call them. And they're out on a date uh, just a few days before their actual wedding day. And Sally says to Tom, you know, what, what is it that you're most excited about for our wedding day? And Tom says, well, I'm, I'm most excited to see some of my college buddies. We're going to hang out the night before the wedding. Or what if he said, because he's not really that smart of a guy, what if he said, you know, I'm really excited about the food at the reception. It's going to be so good. Again, obviously Tom's not the brightest guy, is he? Yes, it's true. He's going to see some of his college buddies at the wedding. And there's going to be good food at the reception. But Tom is missing the point isn't he? The greatest thing about their wedding day for Tom is, men, you better know the answer to this, is what? Sally, right? It's about her. It's about the who. Yes, in heaven, there is going to be a great reunion to look forward to. And yes, there are going to be rewards to look forward to in heaven. But those are all just bonuses to the main focus of heaven. And that is Jesus. I was at a funeral yesterday for Wanda Copley. She's related to several of our our Gateway uh, people. And um, there was something that struck me uh, during the service. They they allowed some time for people to come up kind of to share some things about her. And her son came up and talked about her life. And he said, you know, the last few weeks of Wanda's life, uh, she talked a lot about her, her family who was already in heaven and how she missed them and she looked forward to seeing them. But he also said in those last few weeks that she spoke so much about Jesus. More and more and more, she just kept talking about Jesus, talking and talking about Jesus. And it made me think as he said that, that this was a woman who was getting ready to see Jesus face to face. Yes, she was looking forward to a great reunion in heaven, but she was longing to be with her Savior. John Piper says this. He says the critical question for our generation and for every generation is this. If you could have heaven with no sickness and with all the friends you ever had on earth and all the foods you ever liked and all the leisure activities you ever enjoyed and all the natural beauties you ever saw and all the physical pleasures you ever tasted and no human conflict or any natural disasters, he says this. Could you be satisfied with heaven if Christ was not there? Unfortunately, I think there are a lot of Christians who would say, yep, sounds pretty good to me. And we're missing the point. We're missing the point. God is at the center of heaven. He is the one we should be longing for. Heaven isn't heaven without him. Asaph says, whom have I in heaven but you, God? And this truth helped him to turn in the right direction. We believe we have a God in heaven who is for us. We also believe in a God on earth with us. A God on earth with us. This is the nature of our faith. It is God-centered, Christ-focused. He is all-sufficient for us. This is what Asaph is saying in his proclamation of faith. He says, Whom have I in heaven but you? And the earth has nothing I desire besides you. Now this doesn't mean that Asaph didn't have other desires, but God was enough for him. God was enough for him in this life. The Apostle Paul made a very similar statement in Philippians one twenty-one. He would say, For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Just a couple chapters later, he writes this, and it's just a few verses after what we read this morning at our focus time. He said, I want to know Christ. He is to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Again, Paul had other desires, other goals, even good goals, even biblical goals, but they paled in comparison to an intimate knowledge of and relationship with God through Jesus. So let's go back to our couple, Tom and Sally. It's it's their wedding day. They're reciting their vows to one another. And and Tom is, is about to make up for his previous mistake. Okay, And so he says his vows. I, Tom, take you, Sally, to be my wife, to have and to hold for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish until we are parted by death. As God is my witness, I give you my promise. Think about what Tom is saying here. He's saying, if being with you means I'm richer, then I'm with you. And if if it means I'm poorer, then I'm probably working at a church. I mean, uh, but I'm with you, but I'm with you. If you stay healthy, I'm here. If you get sick, I'm here. What matters to me is not not any of the conditions of our marriage. What matters is that we are together. So bring it on. Bring, Bring on all of life, come what may, as long as I am with you. And this is the essence of a true marriage. It's a thing of beauty to see when you see it in a couple that has been just working through their marriage, through the thick and thin for 50, 60 years. Isn't it amazing to see couples like that? And this is what it means to follow Christ. You know, God even uses the image of a marriage between two people to describe our relationship with Christ. Regardless of the ups and downs, the hills and the valleys, I choose Jesus. And I would rather spend life on earth in suffering But be with Jesus, than to gain the whole world without him. And this is what Asaph was seeing. A world that that was prospering without God. But this isn't the gospel that some preach, is it? Paul said, again, back in that verse in Philippians 3, but I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection. And he says, and even to know, to participate in his sufferings. But some today would preach, I want to know Christ and I want to be healthy and wealthy for all my life. They say, you know, we take Jesus for better, for richer, in health. That's far too often what's heard in our Americanized gospel. And so we come to Christ on our own terms, as long as things are going well for us. But when we don't get what we want... When things don't go, go the way we think they should in the world and in our lives, when we start to see the injustices that Asaph saw, well, then we walk. We give up. But we, we believe in a God on earth with us. He is with us in the better and the worse. So Asaph believed, and we believe in a God in heaven for us, a God on earth with us. And finally, we believe in a God at death beside us. A God at death beside us. Let's, let's read verses 25 and 26 out loud together. They're going to be on the screen. It says this. Let's read it together. Whom have I in heaven but you? And earth has nothing I desire besides you. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. You know, these two verses are fairly unique for the Old Testament. The normal view of death in Hebrew theology involved a place called Sheol, S-H-E-O-L, Sheol. And it was kind of this like murky state of consciousness after death. So they didn't have a, a full theology, a full view of, of what the afterlife would look like. But Asaph had, a, had a more of a God-given, much higher view for the Old Testament. Here, he is acknowledging that he's, he's getting older, that his body, it's, it's wearing out, that he's not going to live forever. But he has the hope of something bigger, something eternal. He has the hope of, of, of heaven with God. And so for him, it was God in life and God in death. And this is our faith too, or at least it should be, This is what we believe. Except we know more, a lot more than Asaph knew because we know about Jesus. So again, I think Paul's words are are, are fitting for us. For to me, to live is Christ. If I'm going to live, I'm going to live for Christ. And to die is gain. If I die, I just get to be with him more. Christ in life and Christ in death. Live or die, we win with him. So if you ever get to the point where you are so discouraged and you're ready to give up, remember what we believe, that we have a God in heaven for us. We have a God on earth with us and we have a God at death beside us. We are never, ever alone in this. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are um, again grateful for these words that we read of Asaph because they reflect What many of us have thought, what many of us have have either verbalized or wanted to verbalize. When we look at the world and we look at our lives and we can't understand things. When we get frustrated over how some people are so far from you, who are so wicked, are prospering, they're getting ahead, they're healthier, they're wealthier. And then the righteous seem to be suffering and it just doesn't make sense There are many of us, we're looking at the world and we're looking at our lives and we're going, what's the point then? Is it really worth it to live for Christ? I thank you for the example of Asaph, how he's able to look back at this time with some perspective and have an eternal mindset. He's able to recall what helped him get through this as he made this turnaround and how he understood Your presence, God. How he understood that you are for us and with us and beside us. That we can make it through any valley. That we can make it through any tough season of life because we're not alone. So God, we thank you for your presence in all of this. I pray that we would be able to have this perspective that no matter what happens in life, no matter how difficult it is, no matter how hard it is, no matter if there's even persecution that we face, that as long as you are with us, holding us with your hand, that we can make it through. That our life would be lived for you and our death would just be a gain of more of you. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. Christ in life, Christ in death. May that be our perspective. Because Jesus, you are the prize of our faith. You are the reward of our faith. You are the goal of our faith. It begins and ends with you. And anything else that we get along the way Is just an added bonus. Having you is more than enough. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. And so this morning, we want to give you the opportunity to respond. And and maybe that response is simply at your seat. You're going, my life has so been about me. It's just been about me, 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 me. And I need to repent of that and have a God-centered, Christ-centered life. Or maybe there needs to be a a, a, a public decision, a decision to trust first and foremost in God, to, to trust and put your faith in the work that Jesus did on the cross for us, place your faith in him and be baptized. And so I'm gonna be up here to your right in just a moment as we sing this last song. But if you have a decision to make about Jesus, or maybe you just need some prayer, I'd love to talk with you about what that next step might be or to pray with you. Will you stand and sing us?